Good morning, everybody. I, I know there's three campuses somewhere around there. Hello to you guys out there. I, uh, every time I come to this church, and I've come from the get-go, I knew the whole development, I get so nervous, you know, in spite of all the years. And then Mike Woodruff with his doctorate and everything, who am I to be standing here today, you know? And then the swinging music, it doesn't seem like the church when you walk, drive up looks like an Episcopal church. And then you come in here and these swinging, you know, uh, music. I wonder what the newcomers think. I thought this was a proper church, you know. And uh, they're jumping around and getting excited. And it's kind of an interesting mix of things. And uh, I, tonight we're going to have something in Spanish if you really want to have a revolution come on out. Mike, uh, Pastor Mike, is trying to bring the churches together in the area. And one of the deals was like singing a little Spanish. Today I looked around. Most of you look pretty glum. It's about, uh, it's about time you learned a little Spanish. You'll soon be taken over no matter what Trump says. So uh, I should Now, this is not politics, not politics, just an observation. And uh, I uh, sure thank God for this church. They, you have been a faithful church. Most of you don't know me, but actually with your giving, you support us. So thank you very much. It's kind of nice to come back and be with you. But I got to watch it because Latins, we take about... 20 minutes to build bridges, you know, so as to get uh, going. But Anglos like to get on with it and get out of here. And so I can't do too many stories and stuff to, to talk to you about. But I want you to pray when you think about it. 2020 is coming in two years, and we've been working for years dreaming. There are about 10,000 proclamation evangelists all over the world just guys, young men, mostly young women too, but mostly young men who like to proclaim the good news. So 2020, after we finished New York two years ago, uh, two summers ago in Central Park and Times Square and all that, and all over New York, I said, Lord, what's next? I mean, I'm ready for heaven. I'm finished with New York. And uh, it seemed like the Lord said, okay, get all these evangelists from around the world, and why don't you make 2020 a year of blessing the nations in a special way? It'll go on later if Jesus doesn't come back. But in the meantime, so I wish you'd pray because we've already been contacting. Everybody's jumping on board, it looks like. There are networks of uh, evangelists in, of course, Indonesia, Africa, Latin America, but even in France, would you believe? So it's a pretty much looks like a spiritual revival. So pray for 2020 to bless the nations, okay? You'll hear more about it if the powers that be allow it. You'll hear about it. All right, I better get on with it. I want to read from the Word of God in Luke chapter 19. It's a famous passage. Most of you know it since you were kids. Whether you're Catholic or Protestant, you know this story. But it's worth reading it again. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And from that, I would like to talk to you today, answering with three points. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he actually have to come to earth? So, the, 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 one of the answers is in this famous passage of a fellow called Zacchaeus, okay? Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, a son of faith. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. That is the word of the Lord. And so, I want to answer this question. Why did Jesus actually have to come? There are many reasons. A lawyer, friend of mine, who's also a Christian, would you believe, uh, from California on top of it all, uh, one day he and I were talking, and he's a great Bible student, and he said to me, Luis, I have found at least 51 things that happen when you give your life to Christ. 51. I thought that'll take a week of Pastor Woodruff's Bible teaching. But so I picked only three. Three reasons why Christ came and what he will do for you. The first one is this. It says in one of the Bible verses, and several in fact, Jesus said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. So the first reason he came is to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. And I began to think, what kind of brokenhearted people are we talking about? And only a few months ago, I remembered a fellow who's a good, good, intimate friend, called up at 5.20 in the morning. And he said, Luis, <clears throat> 10 minutes ago, our son, let's call him Charlie, our son tried to kill himself. The first responders are here. They're going to take him to St. Vincent's Hospital. The police is here. Do you think you might be able to go see him <clears throat> as soon as permission is given? So we went. 18-year-old boy, we've known him well, good, bright, good on computers, <coughs> but he's always had a bit of an inferiority feeling in front of people. He doesn't like to be in crowds. And he left a note and said, Dad, Mom, I'm in your way. I'm a problem to you. I'm never going to finish high school. I think it's better for you if I take my life and I'm gone. Well, you can imagine the broken heart of the dad and mom and the brother and the sister. I think of an 18-year-old taking his life. And there are about 1,500 teenagers every day in America. I was told the other day by an educator who tried to take their lives every day in America. 1,500. They are broken-hearted kids. To find out what the broken heart is, is another question. But that's why you think of taking your life. And then I thought of another <clears throat> a friend of our family also, said to my wife and I, his wife asked him to leave and be gone after 19 years of marriage. And they had two little boys. At that point, one, the oldest was nine, the other little fellow, four. And uh, he, she said, I'm tired of you. No, you've never been unfaithful. No, you've never been violent, but I'm bored and tired of you. Just leave. And so he had to tell the oldest boy. 
And he said, will you take care of the little guy while I talk to our oldest boy? He was crying. He was brokenhearted. And he was taking the boy out of the restaurant where we were to tell him, mom has asked me to leave. But he was sobbing. And the nine-year-old boy, who's a very bright little fellow, I've known him all of his life practically, put his arm around his dad, a nine-year-old. And he said, don't cry, dad. It's going to be all right. We'll make it. <laughs> Imagine a little boy trying to comfort his dad, who's 41 or whatever he was at that moment. And then as they were coming back to the restaurant after they talked about it a few minutes, he said to him, dad, a question. When you divorce mom, are you going to marry another lady? And the dad said, no, I promise you, until you're through with college, I won't even think about it. And he said, oh, good. Nine years old. And then the next week, he was visiting the boy for the first time after divorce. And he had a slab of paper, you know, and a pencil. And he was figuring something. And he said, what are you looking at? He said, I'm checking out, dad. How many days a year I will not be seeing you anymore? Like I used to see you the last nine years. Think of a broken heart of a little fellow, nine years old. And then I was thinking this week in our neighborhood, my wife belongs to a book club, and they're all sort of classy old things. And uh, one of them is a medical doctor, and her husband's a medical doctor. And the last meeting they had, she came home and she said, we were reading a certain book, whatever the book of the week or the month was. And this medical doctor began to cry and said, girls, pray for me. Even though she's not very religious anymore, I just asked my husband to leave. And our 16-year-old son is mad as hell. He's throwing stuff around. He's cursing around the house. He is incensed. A broken heart. And then once we were in El Paso, Texas, on a television program during a festival, and people called in with their questions, and I just sat there every night, answered questions. And suddenly a voice called up that I thought was a girl, but it was a boy, you know. When they're 12, they still sound like girls sometimes. And uh, he said, hello, Mr. Palau. And I thought for sure it was a girl, but it was a boy. And he said, I was just talking, answering a question about gangs. And he said, you were talking about gangs, and you said that, uh, they, you know, that they sometimes sell drugs, and they beat up little old ladies or something. He said, I belong to a gang, but we're not that way. And I said, oh, where do you live? In Las Cruces, New Mexico, 50 miles away. And he said, uh, I belong to a gang. I said, what, what, why are you in a gang? He said, well, because we need to protect ourselves from bullies in junior high and high school. And so we formed a gang. And I said, what do you call the gang? He said, we call it the fatherless gang. I said, oh. And he said, yeah, all of us are boys without a dad. And I said, how many... Members are there in the gang. He said, about 400. Imagine, in a town of the USA, a 12-year-old boy going on 13. I met him later. But what a situation to be. The dads are gone. The boys are alone. And to protect themselves from bullies, they form a gang, the fatherless gang. And then I was thinking about a buddy of mine. He is very successful. Investments in, what you call it, in Wall Street, uh, Fund of Funds guy, very successful, very wealthy. Got a ranch of 40,000 acres that I enjoy. And uh, hunting and fishing and anything you want, private jets, zoom, free. And uh, 
he called me up at 10 something one night. And it was 10 something. I said, hey, what's going on? I saw his name on my phone. And uh, it's late. He said, don't goof, don't goof. This is serious. Tonight on the 11 o'clock news, 11.30, you're going to see my name on my picture. He said, the police did a roundup. I messed up. I haven't told you the truth over the last few years. I was out in a motel with somebody I shouldn't have been with. The police were doing a roundup, and they got me. And sure enough, that night he was on TV. The next day he was in the press. He was in the Wall Street Journal. He was in New York Times. I mean, he's a famous guy. And so we used to meet often, and he went to church. But then when he told me what happened, he said, Luis, I didn't tell you the whole truth. I, I, I went to church, and I really admired Jesus Christ, and I thought I was a Christian. But he said, you know, I never had any fear of God. And he said, ever since I was 12, 13, my brother and I began drinking. We would watch porn and then go out with the ladies. And I've been doing it all my life. And then when he found out, his daughter, he got three daughters and one son, the oldest daughter was mad at him, cussed him out and said, you hypocrite, you liar, you're giving money from your foundation for, against tra sex trafficking and you're doing that yourself. Oh, the whole family was up in arms. He fell from the car when he went to tell his wife, you can imagine. They're all family friends of ours. And you know, he had an experience at that moment. The heartbreak for the wife, the heartbreak for the girls, the boy even. You know, he's a young man. All of them. But then he had an experience at that moment, a radical transformation. Because he saw himself for what he really was. He was a heartbroken guy. His brother, same thing. His wife, of course, a very godly woman, forgave him. They're reconciled. His life has changed. Now he talks to men all over the place. But you know, broken-hearted people everywhere. And Jesus Christ said, that's why he came. One of the reasons. He says, I have come to heal the broken-hearted and mend their wounds. Or, you know, mend their wounds. And maybe you feel brokenhearted about something not as dramatic as the ones I've told you. I told you those to make you realize that it happens at every level of society and that there are many things in our society where people are brokenhearted. You may put on a front because you don't want to be a crybaby, but in your heart you are brokenhearted. Now, how does Jesus Christ heal the brokenhearted? I'm going to mention five areas which He does, and most of you have experienced it, I'm sure. First of all, He heals the brokenhearted by forgiving us our mistakes and our sins, and by helping us to forgive those who've done it against us. And that's the beginning of healing the brokenhearted. It's the relationship with God, and it's the relationship with other people, which is broken when you actually <clears throat> do not know Jesus Christ. And so, the first thing he does, it says, your sins are forgiven. Why did Christ die on the cross? You remember one of the seven words he said from the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you remember the thief on the cross, one on the left, one on the right. Both of them made fun of Christ. But then one of them suddenly had a change of mind. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, he was forgiven on the spot. He never went to church as far as we know. 
didn't be baptized, didn't do communion, didn't do confession, nothing. He was dead in about four hours, but he was forgiven. And so the first step is it. And then we learn to forgive. My buddy, the big, you know, Wall Street guy, his wife had a three days that she needed to think about it, go off into the woods and pray, and came back, and she said to him, Jim, I'd like to kill you, but the Lord told me to forgive you like he's forgiven me, so I forgive you, and I'll never bring it up again. Man, isn't that what a man wants to hear? And the Bible says, as God in Christ has forgiven you, so you also forgive one another. And when you forgive, the healing begins. That's how the Lord begins to heal the brokenhearted. Men, women, young people, boys and girls even. The second thing of healing that he does, and it's beautiful too, it's a powerful thing. Some of the men in this congregation were in a Bible study yesterday talking about the Holy Spirit. You know how the healing proceeds? He comes to live within us. The presence of God in your life. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to put us into nice church buildings, though the nicer the better. And this is a beautiful one. He came to bring us to himself, and he came to live within us. And the Bible says, as all of you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, don't you know that your body becomes the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God now lives in you? And then it says, the temple of God is sacred. If anybody destroys God's temple, God will destroy him because God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. That's how God proceeds to heal us. The moment you open your heart to Christ, not only are you forgiven once and for all and forever because of the cross of Christ as we sang in some of the songs this morning, but also he comes to live within us. I think that's the most amazing thing in the world that we little old sinners that we are, all of us, God would choose to come and live within us. That's how the healing continues. So the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And if you've never had that experience, you could have it this morning. And in a few minutes, I'll give you an opportunity to open your heart to Christ and say, oh Lord, you know my broken heart. Most people hopefully don't know much about your broken heart, but God, you know please forgive me, and please come into my life. I need to change. I want to change. I've got the power in the Holy Spirit. I tell you, when you receive Christ, you know something happens because the Holy Spirit comes in and He begins to give you new desires, new dreams, new teaching, and then the most important thing, new power. New power. The third thing He does to heal us is that He reminds us over and over as it says in one of the books of the Bible, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And people who find themselves brokenhearted often feel, <clears throat> I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness. But you need to be reminded, and it says it so many times in different ways in the Word of God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And if you feel, but Luis, if you knew my story, you'd never say that. I don't want to know your story. <laughs> I can take only so many stories. But God can take it, and God knows, 
And he knows the whole story. And he knows all the skeletons in the closet and everything else in our lives. And yet he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And then number four, you know, I'm going to tell you this, and Americans are going to be surprised by this, especially college kids and high school maybe. One of the ways God heals is not only forgiving and helping us to forgive, like Jim's wife forgave him, not only by his presence and us by the Holy Spirit, not only by reminding us, I have loved you with an everlasting but number four, he provides a spirit-filled church as part of the healing process. This church, from all I hear, is a spirit-filled church. And a church, nowadays people have the habit of saying, I don't believe in organized religion. Fine. Nobody said you had to believe in organized religion. You want to believe in disorganized religion? Go ahead. You know, a church is not religion. A church is a group of people. All of us, if we wrote our autobiography, it would be an interesting story. You could be a bestseller probably, you know, if you told the whole truth, even you grannies. Uh, you know, if you told everything you've done since we were in junior high and all the thoughts, Somerset Maughan, a favorite English writer, said, if I wrote down every thought I've ever thought and every deed I've ever done, people would call me a monster of depravity. And when I read it, I thought, hmm, if I wrote down <laughs> every thought I've ever thought, that's bad. Uh, every deed I've ever done, that's pretty bad too. It would be a bestseller at San Francisco International Airport, you know. I mean, uh, we all have a story, believe me. And if you wrote it down, you'd be pretty shocked at yourself, let alone the neighbor. But the Lord tells us over here, a church is a place where there's healing because we've all had broken hearts. And we care for one another, and we love one another, and we can support one another, help one another, uh, give advice, those of us who are older to the younger, and often the young ones can help the old timers. The church is a family, and that's part of the healing. So don't run away from church. It may be weak, and especially if you join it, doubly weak. But nevertheless, you know, it's a family where God really can heal us. And then number five, the promises of God. God, the, some students say there's 3,000 promises in the Bible. Get a green pencil and start underlining them. They're amazing. The promises that God makes about our personal life, our family life, our sexual life, economic, uh, social, everything. And the Bible has tremendous promise. My dad died when I was 10 years old. And uh, I thought to myself, who's going to talk to me now? I was 10, then at age 12, I gave my heart to Christ. A counselor sat me down, as I hope to talk to you in 15 minutes and sit you down and led you to Christ. He led me to Christ. And then as a teenager, I thought, my dad is gone. Who's going to talk to me about love, marriage, and sex, and, you know, all the stuff that a teenager wants to know? And my dad had said to me, when you grow up, Luis, read the, read the book of Proverbs. It'll make you a real man. It'll make you a successful man. And he died at age 34. And so I remember that when I was about 15. I said, man, I'm going to look at the book of Proverbs. And I recommend it to everybody, not only young people. It really does. It talked to me, and God became my father. And the promises, one promise that was tremendous. My mom, I, it was me as a boy and five sisters. Talk about punishment. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
And I, I found a verse because my dad was a very good businessman. He left a lot of stuff. But in three years, it was gone. My mom knew nothing about business. She knew how to have babies, that's all. And she was only 34. Lost the business. But we found a verse in the book of Psalms 68 that says, Father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in a holy temple. And I thought, that's what our family needs. Father to the fatherless. From then on, I said, God, you're my father. My biological dad was gone. God, without you, I'm done. And he's been my father. That was when I was 12, 13 years old. I'm 83 now. And I tell you, you get to be an old guy, and God is still your father, and you still protect you. And father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy tabernacle. And he's been our defender. I can tell you, he's protected. He's led us. He's opened doors. He's blessed us. All my five sisters and my little brother all serve the Lord without a human father because God became our father. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows is God. And if you're one of those boys, even though you may not be a boy anymore, who is from the fatherless gang, so to speak, the Lord wants to be your father. And don't go around cursing the world and cursing the old man who took off with somebody else. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you as my father. I don't want to hold around the world alone. You become my father. And when he does, your life is revolutionized. But you may say, well, Luis, I'm not that kind of a bind. I've had my problems, but I'm not in that kind of a bind. The second thing Jesus Christ came to do in his passage that we read just a second ago, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Now, when you say to somebody, you're lost, in religious circles, they sort of imply that you're a very nasty person. And maybe you are a nasty person, but that's not what it means. What does it mean to be lost? To be lost means that you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. You thought you were going here, and lo and behold, you're over there. And you're supposed to be with God. You're supposed to be a child of God. You're supposed to be in the family of God. He doesn't want you wandering around the world. And one day in Florida, a friend of ours who's a real classy lady, Canadian, married to an American who died quite young, Isabel. And we were at a Bible conference, and she she called up and said to my wife, you know, I've been to church all my life, a very formal, traditional church, and I don't have the assurance of eternal life. And Luis has been teaching that we can have the assurance of eternal life. I go to communion. I do confession. I do everything the church has, but I don't have the assurance of eternal life. I want to have it. By then she was 72, though she acted like she was 50. And uh, you don't ask the age. Uh, So we said, come to the room. We went to the room, and my sister and brother-in-law joined us. We explained how to have eternal life, where Jesus said, the Bible says, God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. She said, I don't have life. I don't have life. So we said, okay. She understood everything about the cross and the resurrection and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He's Almighty, but she never personally opened her heart. And we said, well, this is all you have to do according to the Bible. Jesus said, I stand at your door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice, he said, and opens the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. She said, I want to do it. What do I do? I said, invite him in like you invite me if I go to your house tonight. So he says, how shall we do it? There was a coffee table, so we said, let's get on our knees and let's pray. And it was beautiful to see this classy old thing. When she's dressed up, poof, she looks rich. And she is. And uh, a nice lady. But to see her on her knees and say, okay, lead me in a prayer. So I led her in a prayer. And she prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she opened her heart to him. And when she looked up, she said, I'm in? Yes, you're in. Yes, you're in. And she said, good. From now on, you should see her. We went to Washington, D.C. for one of our festivals, which is mostly young people. And the first day was raiding cats and dogs. And she'd never worn a Nike in her life. It was beneath her dignity. But she put a, a, a set of Nikes on and went out into the mall where we were having a crowd of people in the rain. And she said, I want to counsel some teenagers. And I thought, oh boy. You know what I mean? You, should, you see her hair and her clothes are ridiculous, really. But Nike shoes. And uh, so she goes out there, and some kids were, we had some guys doing, uh, what do you call it, those motorbikes, what do you call them? Huh? Yeah, motocross, yeah. Jumping up in the air insanely, and so on. And then the guy who did it stopped and began to tell the kids, mostly teenagers, about Jesus Christ. So then he said, how many of you kids want to receive Christ? A whole bunch of them raised their hand. So here comes Isabel, you know, with, with a hair that's ridiculous. I mean, nice but ridiculous. And uh, Nike shoes. And she sits down with two uh, junior hires. And she leads them to the Lord. And then everybody stood around. Other people wanted to counsel. And many of the kids, no, I want that lady to talk to me. And there was a first time in her life that this Episcopalian led a bunch of kids to Jesus Christ with Nike shoes and a fancy hairdo. And uh, all the kids wanted to talk to her. And I thought, I can't believe this, you know. I mean, she looked the epitome of a classy Lake Forest type, you know. And, uh, 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 but with tennis shoes. And... Uh, led a bunch of kids. And then when it was over, and the rest, we went to the platform, and I preached. Everybody surrounding Isabel. Her life was changed. She's on fire. She talks to everybody about the Lord. She's not a pest, but he's very fired up. And you know, she was lost. Not because she was wicked, very, very nice lady, but because she didn't have eternal life. And you know, you could be in that boat too. Come to this good-looking church, and have a fantastic doctor, preacher, and you know, you do the worship and all that. But you say, I don't have the assurance of eternal life. So I think I was invited here this morning to help you to be sure that you have eternal life. Because Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if you feel lost, he says to you today, give me your heart. I stand at your door and knock. If you hear my voice, he says, and open the door, I will come into you. And he will come into your life this morning, right now. He will come into you. And you'll leave the church dancing on one foot, excited, being able to say, my heart is healed, my wounds are bandaged, I'm a child of God, and I've got eternal life. But you have to make the decision. I can't do it for you. Your priest cannot do it for you. You have to deal with Jesus Christ yourself. And as we sang, and you know it, he rose from the dead, he's alive, he's the son of God, and he wants to come into your life. 
and heal the broken heart, bind up your wounds, leave the past behind, encounter him and have eternal life, and be able to say, I'm a new person. I'm not lost anymore. I know where I am. I know where I'm going. Because the last point I wanted to make is this. St. Peter says in his epistle, Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous in place of the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you to God. And that's what he wants to do this morning. He would like to come into your life, come into your family, heal your wounds, bind your wounds, save you, rescue you, and give you the assurance of eternal life. But you have to make your own decision. I cannot do it for you, but I can help you. So I'd like to help you make such a commitment. If you feel, Luis, I've never ever really opened my heart to Christ. I've heard about him. I respect him. I like many of his teachings, but I've never opened my heart. Why not do it this morning? The Lord brought you here. Your heart is sincere. You may be a young kid or a teenager. You may be a college student. You may be a dad, mom, grandpa, grandma. He's knocking at the door of your heart, and he says, let me come in. Let me come in. So I'd like to do it this way. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And all of you men and women and kids, if you've never opened your heart, pray with me. And you invite him into your heart. Remember, I quoted it twice. I'll do it one more time. He says, I stand at your door and knock. If you feel his call, then say to him, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. And I lead you in a prayer. And if you drifted away from God and today you say, I want to come back, I want to come back, then you join them in prayer too and say, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And you'll be amazed. He will come into your life. He will forgive everything that needs forgiveness. He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. And you'll start a new life with the assurance of heaven when you die. So let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> let's pray in the presence of God. And if you feel it in your heart, you join us in this prayer out loud, okay? I'll lead you phrase by phrase, and if you feel it in your heart. And those of you who know Jesus Christ, you may want to join us just to say thank you for this reality that we talked about this morning. So let's pray to the living Christ. Let me hear you pray. Oh God, our Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and compassion that you heal the brokenhearted, that you save those who are lost, and that you give us eternal life. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your death on the cross to heal us, to forgive us, to make us your children. I confess with my lips, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, and therefore I have eternal life. And I will serve you, Lord, 
and follow you till I see you in heaven face to face. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.